This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one, a Sunday morning coming down edition of the program. February the 27th, 2022 to be exact. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BOL with you once again here on the podcast. A lot to get into on this Sunday edition of the BOL pod. We'll get into some Alabama men's basketball following the Crimson Tide's 90-71 win over the South Carolina Gamecocks Saturday evening, Senior Day at Coleman Coliseum. So we'll talk some hoops. We'll also continue our series of top position rooms, ranking the position rooms for Nick Saban National Championship teams at Alabama. Today, it's the tight end position. We've done running backs. We've done quarterbacks. We've done safeties. Gone through a lot of the positions for those national championship teams under Saban. Today, It's the tight ends. You've also got baseball out in Austin, Texas today looking for a getaway W over the top-ranked Texas Longhorns. 0-2 Alabama so far out there in the state of Texas. It's tough, man, taking on the top-ranked team in the country. You give up uh, nine hits in two games to Texas, and the Longhorns have already won the series. All things considered, though, At this point in the season, if you're going to get that kind of pitching against that type of competition, I think if you're Brad Bohannon, if you had to choose one or the other right now, you don't want your pitching to be getting shelled in the first couple of weekends of a college baseball season. So to do the job that Alabama has on the mound, I take that as a very good early sign. It's early. But a nice early sign for Alabama baseball. The bats will come around. And hey, Texas did this last weekend to Rice. They broke it off in a pretty proud program, the Rice Owls. So again, when you consider the competition, three runs allowed in two games, uh, that's a good thing. But you got to score some runs. Alabama shut out in each of those first two contests against the Longhorns. You also have softball out to the west. Patrick Murphy's team going for its sixth win in the last four days. This one, uh, first pitch about set to go as we drop this podcast over in Louisiana. The Crimson Tide taking on the 20th ranked Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. Now, this six-game roadie started last Thursday in Lafayette with Alabama uh, taking on Louisiana and getting a win. So, could be a sixth win. In four days, which would push Alabama's season record to a perfect 15-0. Probably won't be easy, though. Uh, Louisiana looking to uh, get a split of that road trip from Alabama with those two games 
uh, between sandwiched between four other games that Alabama had played as a part of the Mardi Gras Mambo. How about that? That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? So we'll see how Patrick Murphy's team comes out of that one on Saturday morning. So we get into some Alabama hoops from Saturday night. Alabama again, a 19-point winner over Frank Martin's team. South Carolina had been playing some pretty good basketball, winners of four straight. It was senior day at Coleman Coliseum. So you had a senior day starting five that included a couple of veteran walk-ons in Britton Johnson and Tyler Barnes. Javon Quinterly honored at senior day. James Rojas, Keon Ellis. Now, Javon said late in the week it's not totally a done deal that he won't be back for another year with the Crimson Tide. But I'll tell you what I liked. I like the walk-ons getting involved early. Britton Johnson and Tyler Barnes, you know, they weren't looking to just run down and hide in the corners for four minutes, were they? Britton Johnson getting up a couple of threes early. You had Barnes with an assist and a steal. Alabama, very good in the first half on Saturday. Goes into the break up 50 to 27. It's a 23-point lead for the Crimson Tide. South Carolina makes a run in the first 10 minutes of the second half, cuts it to six, but then Alabama hits the gas one more time, scoring 30 points over the final 10 minutes of that 90-71 to 71 win. We'll continue to review the game by taking a look back at the three predictions for South Carolina-Alabama that we had for you up on the website on Friday in advance of the matchup. Prediction number one, both teams will go eight deep where scoring is concerned. And consider a couple of things, especially from the Alabama perspective, with it being senior day, and you also consider the final margin of victory. And Alabama played 15 guys in the win, with eight of them finding the scoring column. Guards were obviously going to be a big part of this one. That's something you can say, I guess, for just about any matchup in college basketball or the sport in general these days. And both teams got double-figure production from perimeter players, a trio of per, uh, perimeter players for South Carolina. Eric Stevenson, we talked about in the predictions piece, Jermaine Cousinard coming in on a heater, James Reese the fourth for the Gamecocks. Well, those three guys for South Carolina combined for 44 points in the game. The problem for South Carolina is that between Javon Quinterly, Jaden Shackelford, Keon Ellis, J.D. Davison, Alabama got 68 combined from those guys. And it's three good games in his last four for Javon Quinterly. So as we talked about with Charlie Potter in our last podcast here, we wondered, maybe Javon's turning a corner. And I think both of us agreed, well, I need to see a little bit more, but you know, Javon with 20 in the game and got off to the good start on Saturday night. And Alabama, in making 13 more threes in the win, the Crimson Tide shot north of 25% from beyond the arc in a home SEC game for just the second time this season. Defensively, Quisenard was coming off games of 33 and 22 points uh, for the Gamecocks. So to keep him to 13, I think you consider that a win for the Alabama defense. Prediction number two that we had going into South Carolina, Alabama, more fouls and turnovers would be on the way from both teams. A bugaboo really for South Carolina and Alabama, both those areas, fouls, turnovers, and South Carolina in the game on Saturday 
18 more fouls, 19 turnovers. Alabama with elevated numbers in terms of turnovers with 17. Both teams in the first half turned it over, I'm sure, more than they would have liked. And after 25 fouls called on the Crimson Tide at Vanderbilt midweek, a much more manageable 14 fouls for Alabama on Saturday. Ultimately, Alabama wins points off turnovers by 14, 24 to 10. And the Crimson Tide, in keeping the fouls down, ended up plus nine in terms of free throws. Also won points in the paint. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Prediction number three for South Carolina, Alabama. We had first to 70 points will win the game. Would this be a rock fight? Something Frank Martin and his teams are more than comfortable being a participant in? Or would it be a firework show? More of the latter certainly would suit Alabama better than it would the Gamecocks. And it wasn't all guards. As productive as the aforementioned quartet for Alabama was in the game, very efficient offensive performance from Charles Bediaco. 11 points on 5 of 6 shooting. He was able to stay on the floor for 22 minutes, so that was a good thing going back to the fouls and uh, the issues that he certainly had from time to time during his freshman season. We talked about points in the paint. Alabama plus 10 in the paint and also finished plus 8 on the backboard. So with that, Alabama improves to 19 and 10 overall. 9-7 and seven in the league and sits in sole possession of fifth place in the SEC following its seventh straight win in the series with South Carolina. And look, all the talk right now where the SEC is concerned, and understandably so, is about the top four teams. Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, whatever order right now you want to look at it because Tennessee impressive in the home win over Auburn on Saturday Arkansas takes down Kentucky and Fayetteville. Here's the thing, though. Now, Alabama has won five of its last six, so it's trending very much in a good direction. And here's an example for you. Arkansas, there are some people, you watch shows like SEC Now, you listen to some folks that really focus on hoops primarily, and they'll tell you Arkansas, in their opinion, is the best team in the league right now, and it's hard to argue considering against that because Arkansas has won 13 of its last 14 games. But you know what that one loss was? Yeah, it was the one in Tuscaloosa a couple weeks ago at the hands of the Alabama Crimson Tide. For Alabama, Texas A&M coming up midweek, Wednesday in Tuscaloosa. That's an early Wednesday tip, 6 p.m. Central on the SEC Network. And then, of course, Alabama goes to LSU next Saturday to close out regular season play Another early tip, that's a brunch with Bama and Baton Rouge. 11 a.m. Central, that game will air on CBS. And when you look at LSU in the conference standings right now and you look at Alabama, the five seed in Tampa for the SEC tournament could be in play. Although LSU has a tougher midweek setup coming up with a trip to Arkansas, those double buys look to be done between the aforementioned Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas. Shifting gears to football, let's get back into our series of ranking position rooms 
for Alabama national championship teams under Nick Saban, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we've given you the outside linebackers, the safeties, inside linebackers, wide receivers, quarterbacks, running backs. Today, we're going to go tight ends. We did outside linebackers last time around. Today, we'll do the position that finds itself dealing with outside linebackers on a pretty consistent basis, that, of course, being the tight end position. We'll go from 6-1 to one for the six national championship teams at Alabama under Nick Saban, and we'll start at 6 with 2017. Very impressive room in terms of personnel. Irv Smith Jr., Hale Hinches, Miller Forrestal, an argument could be made certainly to push this group up. It was a good group, no doubt about it. This was the year before the year for Irv Smith Jr. in terms of receiving production, that big 2018 season that he had on his way to the National Football League. He had so much depth at running back and wide receiver, which related or translated to only so many touches for the tight end position. And something else, perhaps even more impactful, when you talk about opportunities for the tight ends uh, where catches are concerned or targets in general, was it was also a quarterback-centric offense in that it was more run-heavy with Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position. But a really good group, some solid numbers, but not prolific because you had Calvin Ridley at wide receiver, you know, had a dominant-type season. That's before you get to the three true freshmen that season – Running backs were a big part of it with Damian Harris and uh, Najee Harris and Bo Scarborough, and you could go on and on with the running backs in 2017, let alone six deep or so at wide receiver. At number five, I went with the 2009 room, Colin Peak, a.k.a. Holla McGee. Oh, we all loved Colin, didn't we? Georgia Tech transfer. I think some people forget about that. Came to Alabama via... Georgia Tech, maybe the Jameer Gibbs effect uh, or the Colin Peake effect will show up once again in the way of Jameer Gibbs in 2022. Colin with 26 catches for 313 yards. He had three touchdown catches that season. Most memorable, he had a much-needed grab for a touchdown in the 2009 Iron Bowl because, as you'll recall, Auburn got off to the quick start and Alabama looked to be in danger of falling significantly behind in that game. Greg McElroy hit Colin for a touchdown down on the Plains, and then very memorable in the 2009 SEC Championship game, that little throwback from Greg McElroy to Colin, McKe- Colin Peak. I'm putting Holla and Colin together there with the last names but the throwback to Colin in Atlanta that was one a lot of Alabama fans will always remember also in 2009 you had Brad Smelly Michael Williams Preston Dial nice depth there at the tight end position in 2009 2004 I went with the 2020 group Miller Forstall Jalil Billingsley primarily you know Billingsley after the finish of that season 18 catches for 287 15.9 per catch and three touchdowns. Forrestal, 23 catches for 253 and a touchdown. Miller, as was the case for a good bit of his Alabama career, wasn't able to exactly get through that season unscathed from a health perspective. 
And you also, of course, had Devontae Smith with just a season for all time. And we always point out with that 2020 team, 13 games, not 15. So the numbers were impacted from that standpoint as well. Mechie had the big year overshadowed by what Devontae did in winning the Heisman Trophy. And you look at the running back position a lot of times uh, in conjunction with the tight end position where receptions and targets are concerned. Najee Harris caught 43 balls in 13 games in 2020. So that certainly takes a bite out of those opportunities for tight ends as well. Number three, 2015, OJ Howard, 38 catches for 602 yards. He averaged 15.8 per catch, two touchdown grabs for OJ for that 2015 group. Both of O.J. Howard's touchdown catches in 2015 came against Clemson in the college football playoff national championship game win there in Glendale, Arizona. A third of his receiving yards in 2015 came in that win against Clemson, 208 for O.J. in that one. You had Ty Fornoy Smith, Michael Nicewander, sort of that H-back, fullback hybrid you also had Hale Hinches as a true freshman on that team as well. Number two, I went with 2011. Now, that was certainly a tight end heavy, heavy offense under Jim McElwain all those years ago. You had five tight ends for that 2011 team. Catch at least one pass. Big, big part of the rushing success Trent Richardson had on his way to winning the Doak Walker Award as the top running back in college football in 2011. You could credit to the work done by Brad Smelly, Michael Williams. Smelly, he ended up leading the 2011 offense in touchdown catches. Think about that now. Four was enough in 2011 to lead Alabama in touchdown catches. Alabama threw, I think, A.J. McCarron in his first year as a starter. He only threw 16 touchdown passes, so it was very, very much the Trent Richardson show. It was a heavy, heavy Alabama offense, as you might recall. Alabama would go unbalanced, bring in an extra offensive lineman from time to time. But Brad Smelly, 34 catches, 356, those four touchdowns. Michael Williams, 16 for 191 and two. And understand, this, I think, just in terms of how we'll go through also the non-national championship rooms that we're going to do here in just a little bit, it just underscores how the offense at Alabama has evolved tremendously because my top two tight end rooms, you look at receiving production, you wouldn't think it as much. But for how those offenses played in 2011 and coming up in the number one spot, very, very integral in their work at the position. So with that, the number one tight end room for Nick Saban national championship teams at the University of Alabama, for me anyway, we can we can debate this. You know, we can have friendly friendly debate. I went 2012 in that number one spot. And again, different offense. You had Amari Cooper emerging on the outside as a true freshman. You had Kevin Norwood as a big part of that offense at wide receiver. DeAndre White on the outside. And then you had two 1,000-yard rushers in a true freshman and T.J. Yeldon and, of course, Eddie Lacy with a big year in 2012. I went Michael Williams, Brian Vogler. People forget about Kelly Johnson, 2012. Did a nice job as more of an H-back. So that's my number one room. Not necessarily, not necessarily the number one NFL room 
among Nick Saban national championship teams at the tight end position. But given the way that offense played, really like that group back in 2012. So how about some non-national championship tight end rooms under Nick Saban? Well, let's start with 2007. Here's the thing about Nick Walker. Nobody really talks about Nick Walker But in 2007 and 2008, he had a combined 55 catches for 528 yards and four touchdowns. And I get it. In the years to come, that would equate to a good season for, say, O.J. Howard or Irv Smith Jr. in 2018. But Nick Walker in 2008 was Alabama's second leading receiver behind Julio Jones. 2010, Preston Dial with a really solid season as the primary guy, the top guy in the the tight end rotation that year. 25 catches, 264 yards, three touchdowns. Smelly was also a part of that, uh, is still a young player. 2013, this is when you started to see OJ start to ramp it up in that four-year run that he had. OJ, 14 catches, 269, averaged 19.2 per catch. Brian Vogler was also in that mix in 13. 2014, again, a similar type season for OJ that year with Lane Kiffin coming on board as the offensive coordinator, Blake Sims at quarterback. Such a huge year, though, for Amari that there really weren't a lot of targets to go elsewhere. Certainly when you started looking at the tight end position, you also had a couple of running backs in 2014 that were pretty damn good. And Yeldon and uh, a guy by the name of Derrick Henry. Vogler was a part of that group in 2014. What about Brandon Green with the big catch? I think it was overtime he caught that ball, right? Against uh, against LSU in that comeback win down uh, at Death Valley at, at LSU in 2014. He was sort of Kendall Randolph before Kendall Randolph. Brandon Green played some offensive line, then he would shift into tight end mode. 2016, OJ with a big season. Uh, Non-national championship room here again. 2016, OJ, 45 for 595, a couple of touchdowns. Then you get into 2018, and this is the year after 17, and this is with Tua. Kind of the difference, again, how the offense really started to change between 17 and 18 when you got into that run with Tua, Mac Jones, most recently Bryce Young. But Irv Smith Jr. in 2018, 44 catches, 710 yards, seven touchdowns. 2019, as we recall, very wide receiver heavy as it should have been with Jerry Judy, with Henry Ruggs III, with Devontae Smith, with Jalen Waddell. Uh, Miller Forstall with just 15 catches in 2019. But say this for Miller, four of those went for touchdowns. And then most recently, 2021, Cameron Latou and a bit of a surprise, although there had been some positive vibes about Cameron and how he was coming along at the position dating back to last spring. He ends up being Alabama's leader at the position in catches and yards. He had 26 catches. Eight of them went for touchdowns. Jalil Billingsley, you look at the numbers, 17, 256, three touchdowns, and you think, well, they're pretty close to 2020, but for what the expectations were and what you felt like Alabama was going to do and trying to feature him more, The inconsistency for Jalil Billingsley, either because of focus or, um, you know, whatever, 
It, it just didn't happen. That big next step for Jalil Billingsley never occurred. And with that inconsistency, didn't step up and really become the guy when the situation was dire there late in the season that Alabama certainly needed Jalil Billingsley to be. Uh, that lasting impression of the performance in the national championship game lost to Georgia is one, unfortunately, that's going to be stuck with a lot of the Alabama fan base in the years to come. And Jalil off to the University of Texas now to play for Steve Sarkeesian. So there you go, ranking the tight end rooms for national championship teams at Alabama under Nick Saban. Six, I went 2017. 5, 2009. In retrospect, I've already got a little bit of ranking regret. Maybe I should have that a little higher. 4, 2020. 3, that's another one with O.J. Howard and the rest of those guys that I think you could make make a strong case to have in the top two. Uh, 2015 in that number three spot. And then 2, I went 2011. And at the top spot, for me anyway, just Michael Williams, Brian Vogler. Those guys just uh, digging out those Georgia Bulldogs in the second half, especially of that national, Nash, it was really, the SEC championship game win over Mark Rick's dogs from Athens. That's going to do it for a Sunday edition of the Bama Online podcast. As always, hang out with us there at BamaOnline.com, the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the world. We're going to have continuing coverage throughout the day. Alabama baseball, Alabama softball. We'll keep getting you ready for upcoming spring football practice. Recruiting never stops. Next weekend, as a matter of fact, coming out of the dead period, Hank South, Tim Watts, they're going to prepare you for what looks to be a big, big weekend for Alabama recruiting on the not-too-distant horizon. So you name it, we got it for you there at BamaOnline.com. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online Podcast as of yet, we would certainly appreciate it if you would do that. And if you would leave us a rating and a review, that would help us out tremendously as well. Travis Ryer, hoping you have a great rest of your Sunday. And we'll do it again right here on the Bama Online Podcast very soon. So long, everybody.